Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Welcome back to another episode of the Test Studio Times podcast. Sam Ostra here alongside Ben Dixon. We have a lot of Maryland men's basketball talk to get to today. Uh, recapping the game with Iowa, where they stand in the Big Ten, their chance of making the tournament, just taking a look ahead at their schedule and just the whole Big Ten landscape as 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 a whole. And then we're going to preview the Michigan game coming up here tomorrow. Uh, first, Ben, how are you? Doing well, Sam. A uh, lot to get to here with Maryland Hoops. Really been a roller coaster season as the title of last week's episode. I don't think that'll be going away anytime soon, but excited to unpack everything here. Yeah, last week we told everyone to buckle up and then because it's going to be a roller coaster season and Maryland's squarely on the bubble and we think that's going to remain for the rest of the season and with their tournament hopes very much in limbo, but it's, it's still a possibility. They're in most brackets as of now, but like, like we said, everyone's going to have to buckle up because there's going to be some disappointing losses, some huge wins, some expected losses, some expected wins along the way. And you really never know what's going to happen on any given night in the Big Ten. And that and that's no different for Maryland. But let's start with this Iowa game uh, this past Sunday where Maryland lost by 14. It was it was kind of a weird game because Maryland was in control the entire I mean, excuse me, Iowa was in control the entire time. Maryland got out, out to a 4-0 lead, two quick buckets from Julian Reese, who probably played his best game in the Big Ten so far this year, in the Big Ten schedule. But then Iowa went on 8-0 run. Iowa really just controlled the game throughout. Maryland made a few late pushes, but Iowa always hit a big three when they needed to, got a big bucket when they needed to, kind of exploited Maryland's uh, 2-3 zone and matchup zone that it went to a lot, especially in the second half. What were your overall impressions of a game that Iowa was the better team on the road? Maryland moved to 0-4 on the road in the Big Ten. They really cannot win on the road. What were your excuse me, your impressions of uh, this Maryland loss. Yeah, I think like you said, Iowa was in control the whole time. I think there were a bunch of kind of concerning things. Uh, we'll get into the injury with, with Patrick Emelian, which obviously if he's out for a while, which Willard said he might be after the game against Iowa, that's going to affect Maryland's front court and just the way they play as a team. Um, that, that'll that be a big loss there. But I think that's something to keep an eye on. Um I think the the transition points was something I, I wrote about. We get into that. Uh, Iowa 15-0, fast break points. Um, like you said, Sam, with the zone, um, look, Willard made the adjustment to go to the zone, and it seemed to, you know, nothing was really working for Maryland on the road. And I think just a big picture look, I think it's a little bit disappointing that, yeah, it, it was close. Maryland came out of halftime, and they made it a two-point game at one point. But for the large part of the game, uh, all things considered, the game really wasn't that competitive. Like you said, Iowa in control ended up winning by 14. I thought Maryland would have competed more on the road. I thought it would have been, you know, a two possession loss, maybe. Um, So I think the fact that they lost by 14 is a little bit disappointing um, in in that regard. But um, what what are your thoughts here? I think I think there's a lot to get into, a lot of negative from that game, some positive. But I think there's definitely uh, a lot of areas to be concerned about. Yeah, so one of the things is, um, you, like you mentioned, Patrick Millian's injury. So we know it's an ankle injury. We know uh, he injured it last Friday in practice, and it was it was an ankle that he he was playing a little hurt on. He missed the game earlier this season. 
Um, but he was playing hurt on, and obviously he re-injured it. And so when Willard says out for a while, we don't know exactly what that means. That means could that could mean a month and a half. That could mean two weeks. It's an ankle injury. We don't know the extent of it. So and and it was kind of like an offhand, like casual remark that Willard make, but like yeah, he'll be out. He'll be out a while. So we don't really know the extent of that. But that's a huge, huge injury, and it may not like based on the box score and his statistics, it may not look like it. But he's the backup big on a roster that is incredibly thin in the front court. I mean, you have Julian Reese, who's a starting center, and he's the big man, big man for the team. But after him, and and he's a guy that like he has serious foul trouble game after game after game. Coming into this game, he was averaging he had four fouls. He was averaging four fouls in the last three games. He averages the most fouls out of any player in the entire Big Ten conference. But then that's a lot of fouls. So he has a serious um, problem with foul trouble. And that was a thing last season. And in the earlier part of this year, you kind of thought that he was being more disciplined on that end and not picking up ticky-tack fouls, doing a better job of walling up. But as has the Big Ten's really heated up, he's gone right back to to kind of just some, some stupid fouls, some good physical fouls. But regardless, he's constantly in foul trouble. And for a team that already was thin in the front court depth, and now your backup big man and Patrick Emelian um, is out with Julian Reese continuing to pick up too many fouls and having to sit a decent amount of time on the bench because of it. Like he only played 26 minutes against Iowa. Um, every other three other starters played 34 plus minutes. And then uh, Jahari Long played 22 and Donald Carey played 25. Like 26 minutes against Iowa, like for your when he's your lone big is not the answer. Like and Maryland went to a zone and part of playing that zone defensively was to try to hide Julian Reese to try to get him out of foul trouble as or try to not have him continue to sit on the bench and continue to get into foul trouble when he's kind of in the middle of that zone but Iowa did a great job of attacking that zone it, didn't, it was not a very effective zone for Maryland but the point the point is that when Patrick Millions out you really have no answer when Julian Reese goes to the bench with foul trouble there is the only answer is to go small Maryland pl- tried playing Pavlo Zubia uh, he tried playing Caleb Swatton, Swatton Roger, like that. That's not even close to a solution um, to to answering the the question of who who's going to be your backup big man. You the only answer is you have to go small and against really good Big Ten teams that have good big men and are physical down low. It's going to be really difficult, especially if you're not shooting the ball at a high volume and and making making the majority of your shots. So there really is no answer. But that was the one that was the big thing I was looking at was like how what are they going to do when Julian Reese inevitably gets into foul trouble and has to sit on the bench now that Patrick Millions was out against the Iowa and it's going to be out for the next few games at least. Yeah, it's really a shame too. I mean, I wrote about it in, in the takeaways from that game, but I think at least in that first half offensively and and even defensively aggressive aggressively like Julian Reese like from an aggressive standpoint and you know playing what Maryland fans ex- the level that they expect him to play at I thought the way he started that game was the best he played in a really long time um and yeah maybe that's because of his health which which Willard said after the game that he's he's fully healthy now from that shoulder injury but I mean in the first five or so minutes of the game what do you have six points forced to jump balls being physical with Philip Rabaka a team you know Iowa that that doesn't have a huge guy like Maryland I thought it'd be a an advantageous matchup for Julian Reese and it was to start but that didn't really continue and then he had a steal early on as well but because part of that, just to interrupt you real quick, part of that is because you, you like when you get into foul trouble, it's like a mental thing too. Like your aggressive nature on both ends, you're not going to be as yeah. aggressive and and as like into the game when 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 you're dealing with it. No doubt, and look, he had two fouls before the first ten minutes of the game, and it seemed like 
you know, while his, you know, I think the second half you started to see, even when he was in the game, Iowa would continue to go on runs, but he like really never allowed himself to get into the rhythm of the game. Um, I, I think like, look, especially with Patrick Emelian out, this team's just going to have a different look without Julian Reese. And yeah, maybe you can get by with small ball lineups like you, you get you did against Iowa. And look, the offense wasn't really the problem. They scored over a, a point per possession. It was the first time they lost um, in a game where they scored more than one point per possession all season long. But, you know, with him not on the floor and you play bigger teams, look, Patrick Emelian is not big. We know that he's he's six seven, but at least he he wasn't afraid to be physical with guys like you know Hunter Dickinson and and some of the other bigs in the Big Ten that are going to be coming up on the schedule. So without him there, Sam, it really is a really big issue. And for me, at least at this point right now, I don't think I have any confidence in Julian Reese to be able to clean up those foul trouble issues because you look at his last what four Big Ten games, four fouls against Iowa three against Ohio State, which, you know, they kind of needed him to stay out there and, and take advantage of Ohio State without Zed Key. And then four against Rutgers, five against Michigan. Uh, and then in the first two Big Ten games, four against Wisconsin, four against Illinois. So it's just, it's it's a problem right now. And if you don't have a backup big, which, look, we know was a problem with Maryland to begin with. We've been talking about that since before the season. But look, Callum Swanton Roger is not ready to come in the game. Pablo Zuba played two minutes, and but you know there's a reason why why Willard's been hesitant to play him, and why while uh, you know Danny Manning and Mark Turgeon were hesitant to play him last year, he's not going to be the answer down there either. Um, and then you know sometimes you might be reverted to lineups with Dante Scott at the five, which we saw during the, the COVID year sometimes. But I don't know, Sam. I, I, if Julian Reese does not clean up his foul issues, which I don't think he will. I mean, he hasn't given you any answer to, you know, or any hint to make make it seem like that'll be uh, that problem will go away in the future. It's it's going to be a problem for this team because the backcourt depth is at an all time low, right? Or the frontcourt depth, excuse me, is at an all time low right now. Yeah, and it's 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 a good point that you make that he was playing really well in the beginning. I mean, he had eight of the first fourteen points for Maryland. It was kind of keeping them um, afloat in that game. And 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 when he is that aggressive style, like we kind of like the I think the jury and the like we know like the player Julian Reese is offensively. Like he doesn't he's not like you can give him post touches against smaller guys and and he can go to work and he has could use a nice little hook shot can shake someone um and and like have a little bank shot um on the block, but against bigger even even guys his size or bigger bigs than him and there's a lot of them in the big 10 it's really based on the matchup you're not a guy where you're gonna get he's gonna get design post touches he's not really someone you're gonna trust um down there on the block most of his baskets will be either pick and roll diamond and um excuse me jameer young will find him in the pick and roll or kind of clean up baskets, but against Iowa, like that, the matchup was there because those were smaller um, bigs. They they don't have a ton, ton of great front court depth either, honestly. And and so the matchup was there for him, and then he started playing well. But then once you start getting into the foul trouble, um, that's when it becomes a problem. It's also you know Maryland's game plan against smaller teams is offensive game plan. It has been pretty clear, and I think it's a pretty solid game plan where Maryland isn't a good three-point shooting team at all. The three-point percentage is second worst in the Big Ten. Kevin Willard understands that. And I think coming into the year, he thought this would be a better three-point shooting team. And I think most people did too. Because they have some good shooters. Dante Scott, Akeem Hart, when when they're like they're they're solid three-point shooters. Don Carey's supposed to be a sniper. Jameer Young, we've seen flashes from him from three. So I thought Kevin Willard thought he would have a better three-point shooting team than he actually does, especially from their starting unit. But the, the reality is 
it's a bad shooting, bad three point shooting team. So the game plan has become they need to attack the basket. They're limiting their three point attempts. They do not want to shoot as many threes. And when they do, they want it to be quality looks. So they're trying to get downhill, attack the basket, use dribble drive penetration, uh, create sets to get people low post touches or even some mid post touches like Dante Scott. And, and he had 15 points, his best game in a while, because a lot of his touches came near the block and he was able to take advantage of some smaller matchups. But their offensive game plan has completely gone um, away from the three ball and try to limit as many threes as possible. I mean, they, they took 16 attempts, but in the first half, they only took six attempts. Um, so I, I really think that that's been part of their part of their game plan. You saw it against Ohio State and it worked really well against Ohio State, but they were not shooting a ton of threes and they were just quality looks when they can get them off the dribble drive um, penetration. So so that's been kind of, I think, important for this offense and why you've seen way better offensive production against these last two games against Ohio State and against Iowa. But the reason that's worked is because getting to the lane and getting to the basket and dribble drive penetration works way better when the other team isn't as big, when they don't have a big standing in the lane and it's easier to get some of those low post touches and and easier just to drive in the lane when they don't have a big. And that works against Iowa and that works against Ohio State, who's without Zed Key. Um, because they were a small unit too. Once you start playing these other some of these bigger teams, and one's coming up, well, Michigan's coming up too. Which we, we we saw what happened last time, and then Purdue's coming up too. I don't know if that offensive game plan is really going to work, and they may have to like don't their only chance in those games, and we'll get to previews of them is to to shoot the three ball and shoot it well, which they just haven't done all year. Yeah, I mean, just look at the stats. It's been a clear effort that they've made only 13 threes taken against Ohio State and 16 against Iowa. You look against Rutgers, 22, against Michigan, 25, against UCLA, 27, against Tennessee, 24, against Wisconsin, 24, and against Illinois, 23. So that game plan has worked in spurts. I think it worked for the whole game against Ohio State, especially when you saw Akeem Hart kind of take advantage of his matchup with Bryce Sensabaugh, and he he was able to get to the hoop with ease. It wasn't just uh, Jameer Young there, Um, but you know, Sam, it, it it's you're gonna have to start hitting threes at some point. To your point, but like when you play Purdue on Sunday, like Zach Eady's not moving anywhere from the paint. You can try and yeah. get him on the perimeter. Michigan State did a good job of that in the second half yesterday with Tyson Walker. But I don't think this is a team that's really you know good enough offensively to to you know toss him around like that. But not only that, Sam, the 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 plan to go to the hoop. It's just the, the talent offensively, the amount of scoring drafts that we've seen from these teams, this team has been killer. Like, I think I, I wrote about it in my takeaways in, in uh, after the Iowa game, excuse me. There were at three or four extended ta- uh, extended droughts. Like, Maryland came out of the second half, cut it to a two-point game, and then they didn't, they didn't score for five minutes. Like, it, it's yeah. – there has to be – there's, there's yes, a level of game plan, which I think has improved these past two games – but there's no offensive stability, and I don't know if this team is good enough to you know, find that and maybe avoid these droughts for the rest of the year because it, it, it seems like something that's become a worrisome trend and something that's going to you know, keep happening as, as we move on here. Yeah, the, the, it's good you brought up those numbers because there's just a clear trend of the more threes they take, the worse offenses and worse scoring production. And you talk about the scoring droughts, and there's still a problem, but when you look back a couple, a few, a couple weeks ago when they played Michigan and got railed and and then they played Rutgers and they weren't really competitive for most of that game and their offense was just atrocious like you said they were shooting way more threes and and that was a problem but those scoring droughts were like eight 
nine minutes in those games. So yeah, there have been a few in these last couple of games of like three minutes here, two minutes there. But I think that is just, just in terms of the progress that they've made where they're not going on a seven, eight, nine minute scoring drought. I think this offense has been way better. And I think it's directly correlated to the shot selection and, and not shooting a bunch of threes. Like we said, the matchups warranted that. So the game plan worked when they can get downhill and you can't, you don't need to rely on the three ball. Um, but is it going to work moving forward against the Michigan against a uh, Purdue? I don't know. <laughs> Probably not, to be honest with you. But but I do think there's a direct correlation between shooting less three balls and a more productive, efficient offense. And you know, like you, Maryland at 67 points against Iowa, like that's going to win a lot of games in mm-hmm. the Big Ten if they can score 67. Maybe not on the road, but the problem to me was their defense. I mean, they could not stop Iowa when they needed to really in both halves. Like like uh, you talked about it, but uh. Um, Tony Perkins went off. I mean, he had 22 points. Chris Murray had, I think, one point in the first half or two points in the first half and then 17 in the second half. They, they were going to the zone defense, like I said earlier, to hide Julian Reese and, and not need not allow him to guard where he'll have a better chance of picking up more fouls. But what it led to was just a bunch of corner threes for Iowa, which they were hitting. Chris Murray was getting was easily penetrating with the zone. It just wasn't effective zone at all. And they haven't gone to it a lot this season. They only really play zone when they're coming, when they press, and then they go back, they drop from the press into a 2-3 zone. But for the most part, they really go man-to-man this season. So I don't know how much they practice it. Maybe the in-game experience wasn't there necessarily, but it wasn't wasn't an effective zone at all. And they were kind of just getting torched by Iowa's guards. And look, it's a really good Iowa team. I mean, this is, I don't necessarily know if it's a contender in the Big Ten, but it's one of the better teams. Great offensive team, too. Yeah, great offense. One of the better teams in the Big Ten, even without Patrick McCaffrey, who's who's one of their top scorers and who's who hasn't played in a couple games and is out for an extended period of time. But this Maryland just couldn't get a stop. And and that's kind of what Willard said after the game was he was like on the road, but in general, our defensive intensity needs to be at where it was in the beginning of the season, because that's what everyone was applauding. We weren't so sure about the offense, even though it was clicking, but the defensive intensity um, and how they were so connected defensively, that's what was so impressive about this team's start. And they've really gone away from that. And I think a big part of that intensity, and and you can't even really blame the offense, like you said, for you know they scored sixty seven points, but you, where's where's the press on Iowa? I, I, maybe it's it's a team where look Iowa plays fast and and they excel in, in that. You know their offensive possession length is one of the top twenty fastest in in the country, but like part of that intensity was was pressing teams. You know the you know playing with that fast tempo yourself, and it seems like part of that identity. I mean we've talked about identity on. on former podcast as well it just seems like it's gone away and and maybe the press is part of that I think yes like you said Sam the intensity is part of it as well but there was just no defensive resistance and I think the zone while I think it, it wasn't necessarily a terrible move for Willard to try it because the, the defense couldn't stop anyone uh but you know it, it didn't work there as well and and maybe this team is you know better suited defensively to go against um these bigger teams as crazy as it sounds. I know Julian Reese is going to get into foul trouble, but it seems like that's kind of been the emphasis and, and 81 points is the most they've given up since uh, I guess Michigan. So never mind on, on, on that point, but it's the actual identity and, and intensity part that, that you talk about. It seems like it's completely dissipated. And, and I think the press is definitely part of that. We didn't see him press against the Hawkeyes at all, maybe for one or two possessions. And it, it seems like that was something that really helped him on early in the year. 
Um, but I don't know. It, it just seems like they've gotten away from some of their, their habits. I can't exactly put my finger on it, but I, I think that's part of it. And yeah, intensity, obviously, yeah. of course, is not measured. But on the road, you have to bring in defensive intensity in the big time. Yeah, they pressed to. a little bit um, at the very end of the game, but not a whole lot. Too, they, too little, too late, though. It, it, yeah. The, the thing about the press is, is number one, I think it's better at home. You kind of get your home crowd behind you. You can get um, more intensity with the press. But the other thing about it is, it's really tiring and we want them to play with a lot of pace, but like their best players need to be playing 34 plus minutes. Jameer Young played 34 minutes. Hakeem Hart played 36 minutes. Dante Scott played 35 minutes. When you're pressing so much and playing with a ton of pace, those guys get tired. And like, especially without, and even though they were on a week's rest, which should be noted. So obviously they had way more rest than Iowa, who just was off a thrilling um, overtime game against Michigan that Thursday before. But, you know, especially with Patrick Millian out, like they, he, Willard played 10 guys. A lot of them were like two minutes or one minute, like Ike Cornish, who had a bucket. Um, uh, well, excuse me. Pablo was only two minutes. Swan Roger was only two minutes. But for the most part, you know, he's not playing a bench because he doesn't have a bench. So you can't really press like so much and, and play with that type of pace that you want to when you're playing your guys 34 plus minutes because they're just going to get tired. and It's not reasonable to expect them to to produce and 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 be where be at the level they need to be at in those final few minutes when you're pressing for the entire game. So it's really like it's just the personnel for the things that Willard wants to do, I think, isn't necessarily there. And it's not even that. I don't know if he has a full understanding of this, the the personnel and, and how he wants to use these rotations yet. Because it, it's it was weird seeing you know Noah Bachelor start that game against Rutgers, played ten minutes, and he hasn't even checked in in the last two games. Like Ike Cornish, he came in, hit hit a jumper uh, against Iowa, didn't play the rest of the game. Pablo Zuba was a little bit of a, a an interesting play there too, given the fact that he hasn't played any meaningful minutes in his Maryland I mean, career. No, like, I'm not, that I'm, was I'm, just like, well, like I get he's trying to push buttons, but like, what exactly does Willard think he's going to get out of him? Like, especially I, I, for a two minute shift. Like, right that that's that's my point. I'm saying like, it, it seems like while the rotations were so fluid or, or so concrete early on, they've become kind of more fluid and, and uncertain to an extent where he doesn't know what buttons to push in Big Ten play and he's kind of still searching for answers. Um which yeah, like it, it's a little it's a little bit concerning at this point, you know, it's, given, it's not given his that fault. they're six I games mean, in I know, I agree. I completely Yeah, agree. like this but, was for the most part the roster he inherited and they had a couple months to put some more pieces together, which he did. But like when he's searching for answers, like I don't need to be in practice every day and know the scouting port to tell you that Pavlo is not the answer. I don't need to be in practice every day to tell you that Callum, Callum Swat and Roger is is not the answer. Like the only with Patrick Emelian out um, to try to provide more front court depth. Like the only answer is to go small and and hope that you're having a better shooting day than than you have really all season, and hope your your perimeter play is better than it has been all season because there's there's no there is no answer so the only way to combat other team's size is to go small and spread them out and see what that does um because there there, there is no answer like pushing these buttons isn't going to work and i can promise you that like i don't need to be in a practice every day to know i don't need to know the, the exact scouting report to, to tell you that some pushing some of these buttons especially for like two or three minute shifts where they're really going to make no impact um i mean all of them had like no stats yeah, they all had no stat, or excuse me, those couple guys had no stats except for Ike Corners who had a shot. But in terms of that, the front court depth that you think you're going to get um, from some of these, some of these backups who really haven't played all season, it's just, it's just not going to happen. It's not, it's just not, it's not on the roster. It's, it's just the reality of this team, and we talked about it 
at the beginning of the year, weeks before the season started, and while the you know the fast start kind of eight no and 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 you're you're playing great basketball kind of dissipated those worries a little bit it's it's still there and especially with with Patrick Emilian out um you're you're just there's not a, a ton of solutions in terms of mixing and matching with with the state of this roster because we talked about some of the scholarship players that are just look Arnold Vaz has never seen the court for meaningful minutes Callum Swat and Roger is completely raw 611 it was a zero star freshman. Um, and then Pablo Zuba, there's a reason why he hasn't played these these past couple of years. So I, I don't know. And then Ike Cornish, of course, didn't play last year either. And and for whatever reason, hasn't played much this year. And and Willard has on and off taken a liking to to Noah Bachelor. It's just there's just not a lot of answers on this roster, especially with with a million out in terms of, you know, finding that solution in your front court. I will say that a lot of guys on this, not a lot, but a couple of guys on this roster who were on this team a couple of years ago. Remember that Dante Scott played center minutes for like an entire season, pretty much yeah. in the 2020 season, that COVID year when they when they were very undersized, had no big, wasn't a great team. But that was Daryl Marcel was on that team. Um, Eric Ayala, of course, was when the Wiggins yeah. left. Wiggins, Wiggins, but, Ayala, Marcel, Hart, Wiggins, and then Dante Scott in the last five games of the season was playing the majority of the minutes at center compared to anyone yeah. else. And, Galen and like Jerry Hamilton was on yep. that team at Western Kentucky now, but, but, uh, right. That's where Jerry Hamilton. Yeah. Was, I was, right? I was watching him a little bit last yeah. night actually against, against um, Atlantic, but yeah. But the, the point is about that team is, is that Dante Scott was playing center minutes for like one, a really undersized team. And yes, that was a problem against a lot of, uh, a lot of good bigs, but, uh, it also like he has experience doing that and he kind of held his own. And what that does is is he is a like he he's in better shape now than he was a couple of years ago. He, I think he's quicker and twitchier than he is. He can take God. Yeah, he likes to catch the ball with his back to the basket in the mid post with a low block and and find one of his hook shots. But like he is capable of taking guys off the dribble, too, who are bigger, slower guys and slow footed. So like that, that can help, too, when like he can pound down low defensively with some of these guys but then offensively you can kind of spread the floor if he has to be or if you have to play center minutes with him and like play play three guards with Don Carey Ian Martinez and Jameer Young so yeah it's tough but also we should say that um, Don Scott's been playing better uh, recently he definitely went through a really after a great start to the season he went through a very rough stretch but he was back to 15 points against Iowa and like I said earlier a lot of those I think that was a good job by the coaching staff to get him touches where he needs touches, which is in the low block, um, on that mid post, back to the basket. Uh, let him get him in an isolation situation where he can go to work. He did hit a three against Iowa too, um, one for two for three, which is encouraging if he can if he can get his three point rhythm back. But he he played better in that game. I think that was a big part of the coaching staff too to get him touches where he needs his touches. Um, and then just just going through here, Jameer Young was was he's been Maryland's best player all season really. And he was he had another twenty point game following a thirty point game, and he f- fills the rebound sheet every single time. He had five rebounds, three assists. He really is a stat stuffer, and he's been the most important part uh, for this Maryland team, and, and kind of been the only thing that keeps them going in in some of these games. No doubt, and and you know with with Dante at the five over these past five games, according to Ken Palm, he's played twenty four percent of those minutes at the five compared to sixty one percent for uh, Juju Reese. I I, I wonder if you know, obviously, it was it was a different team, and the only guys that remain from that uh, COVID team are, are Dante and, and Akeem. But I wonder if if maybe Willard is is looking at some film where Dante was successful at the five, 
that year and maybe kind of drawn up some ways for him to be successful again, because look, that was still the big 10. There were still really good bigs in that league. Yeah. And there, there is a recipe to at least find some success um, with him playing bigger, but we'll see. Uh, I, I think it, it's kind of a, uh, uh, an unfortunate thing for Dante, given the fact that, you know, he came into this year and, and, you know, how are they going to improve his NBA stock? He was going to get leaner. He was going to improve his game on the perimeter. He's going to improve in the mid post. Like, like you've been talking about all year and, and he was going to really become a three level scorer. now out of necessity, they're going to need him to play more big again. Um, but I think there is, there is a recipe that has worked for that in the past. I'm curious if we'll see some similarities from that. Uh, yeah, going it's, it's more defensively, honestly. Um, like I think, I think it's not a bad plan offensively. Obviously it's going to hurt. On, on, the, on the rebounding side of things but i think defensively that's that's the big question it's like do you front him um like it depends it depends on the makeup of the other team's roster but like how much you can help down but like if you can do quick doubles on whoever the big is whether it's a hunter dickinson that we'll see on thursday or obviously a zach Eady, who's just a monster um who maryland will see on the road on sunday um but it's tough it's a tough dilemma that they have with patrick million out and just the lack of front court depth and and again the lack of front court de- <clears throat> excuse me the lack of front court depth is such an issue mostly because Julian Reese is constantly in foul trouble. Again, the most fouls out of any player averages the most fouls per game out of any player in the entire Big 10. So that's that's the problem really at its core. Like if they can somehow find a way to keep him out of foul trouble but continue to stay aggressive on both ends of the floor, then you don't have to go as much to your bench. And you can play him 31, 32 minutes. But that hasn't really happened in recent games. And I don't know if if, if that trend is going to be bucked anytime soon. Yeah, I, it's it's hard to say that it will because it's it's been a problem. If it if it does if that trend does dissipate in in future games, it'll it'll be a uh, I think it'll it'll correlate positively with with good things happen in Maryland for sure. Yeah, absolutely. All right, so let's let's preview the the mission game real quick here um like <laughs> when you talk about what happened last time in michigan it was the most for- forgettable game probably in the last maybe 20 years for, for maryland fans i mean their biggest loss since they entered the big 10 lost by 35 on the road new year's day it was an absolute disaster from the start maryland didn't score a point until almost eight minutes into the game um they didn't have a field goal until even like nine or ten minutes into the game it was just an absolute disaster. Hunter Dickinson had 32 points. He was phenomenal. Maryland had no answer for him. And in that game, it should be noted that Julian Reese and Patrick Emilian both fouled out of that game. So that was, it wasn't just Hunter Dickinson scoring 32 points. It was how much pressure he put on Maryland's bigs and how much he got them into foul trouble uh, with his aggressive play. He really was playing, you know, when you watch Hunter Dickinson, he sometimes likes to step away from the basket a little bit. And that, w- that was his first point against Maryland. He had that outside two-point jumper and against other teams this season it's not really when Michigan's at its best and and Michigan has struggled throughout the year but he likes to step away from the basket trying to try to play away from the basket on the perimeter more than he should but against Maryland he really just dominated inside I mean I think the overwhelming majority of his points were in the paint and he was just he got whatever look he wanted on either block um and so I don't know how Maryland's got kind of going to combat that this time around I don't think it'll be a 35 point blowout, but what are you thinking for this Michigan game? It was a mess. Uh, they they had no answer for him, and obviously Hunter Dickinson takes that matchup personally. Every time he plays Maryland Thursday or tomorrow will be the first time that Hunter Dickinson actually goes into College Park and plays against Maryland with fans in the crowd. Um, I mean, Michigan scored 81 points with three three pointers. Like it, it, it was just. It was a disaster for Maryland. If if you can draw up a worst case game, 
that was it. Like scored what 0.6 points per possession, 46 points, lost 81-46. I mean, Hunter Dickinson, he's he's the guy you focus on if you're Maryland and you have an undersized team to begin with. You have to find a way to contain him because this Michigan team isn't all that great outside of him. Yes, Jet Howard's an NBA prospect and, and Terrence Williams, Kobe Bufkin, Doug McDaniel, all, all really solid players. But, you know, there's a reason why they're, what, 73 in the net right now and, and uh, uh, 51 Kempom. They're not phenomenal. There's a way to beat him if you can contain Hunter Dickinson. And they absolutely did not. And that, uh, of course, that's going to be the thing that, that I'm looking for Thursday. Maybe it helps at home, but personnel-wise, you're in a worse position than you were. I mean, we, we just talked about the whole episode. You're in a worse position than you were the first time you played Michigan. You don't have Pat a million. Callum Swat and Roger, you know, he might have to play a little bit this game. Um uh, I, is he ready to get thrown into the fire? I, I don't think he is. I think we've talked about that all year that he's not, he's not ready. He played a little but, bit against like some meaningful minutes yeah. against Hunter Dickinson. He guarded him a little bit in that first matchup. Yeah, and I wonder I wonder if that did help. I mean, obviously the game was so out of reach at that point, but I wonder if those minutes did help moving forward that he could see his game and and you know knowing that he's going to play against him one more time. But Julian Reese, it's do you have any confidence that he, he stays out of foul trouble in this game? I mean, no, he's been in it all not. year. There's no, there's no, and there's no reason to. And when you look at that first matchup, they're gonna have a completely different game plan. I think they went to a lot of single coverage against Hunter Dickinson. That's just not the answer when you have a foul prone Julian Reese and no it, one it, to it, back it him was up. tough to watch. We were talking about it. I mean, the book on, on Dickinson and any of these bigs in the Big Ten, you have to double him. It, it, like, yeah. it's, it's and it, and it wasn't, it wasn't just. Like obviously, it was more the offense I think than than the defense and guarding. Um, like they're off. They're, again, they shot an abundance of threes. They came out slow. Um, no movement, no off ball movement. Um, offensively, it was it was a disaster. Offensively, they didn't score a point for eight minutes. I mean, that's almost hard to do. But and it, like it's not going to be the same result. So I think more of the problems were offensively against Michigan. But when you are looking at that Hunter Dickinson matchup, no, I don't have, have confidence in Julian Reese to not get into early foul trouble. I think. He will, but I do think Maryland's game plan will be different where they're going to send two guys at him early and be like, we're not letting Hunter Dickinson score 32 and beat us. Like these other guys are going to have to beat us because they really have been inconsistent all season. That's the big, like Hunter Dickinson has been pretty good all year. This Michigan team is not very good at all. Like this isn't like you think they're world beaters when they beat Michigan by or beat Maryland by 35. They're a pretty bad team, to be honest with you. They're very mid, probably on the lower tier of the Big Ten. They're going to be a bubble team, just like Maryland throughout the year, and maybe on the wrong side of the bubble when it's all said and done. Again, they beat or they lost to Iowa before Maryland played Iowa in overtime, um, which which was a good game. And and, Mer- and Michigan has some good wins, but they're not a very good team. But the plan has to be let these other guys beat you. And yeah, Jet Howard's been great this year and, and they have guys who are capable of having good shooting days. And if they do, then Maryland's just not going to have an answer. And Maryland's they're going to lose the game pretty handily if Michigan's secondary players, other than Hunter Dickinson, are going to have big days and, and shoot the ball well. But you have to test that. And you have to make other guys beat you and not let Hunter Dickinson just bully you all day in the lane. So I think they're going to have a much better game plan. Probably a good amount of doubling um, early, maybe even fronting the post to limit his post touches and and have some heavy help on the backside. I, I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but you kind of you need to make other guys beat you. And and I think it's going to be. A, I, I mean, it I, it would be hard not to be a closer game, but I think it's going to be a very competitive game. Yeah, I mean, you would hope. I I think so too. It, it's going to be at home. I, I can't imagine the crowd's going to be too good at the Xfinity Center, but there I'm, I, there's going to be an extra juice in the building regardless of, of who's there. 
given the fact that it is Hunter Dickinson coming back to Maryland and his animosity for the school is completely well documented and he's dominated the school more often than not. But with that, and he's said, talk, and he's like, I don't think like, he's talked about this matchup for years. Forever. At this point. I mean, he he loves picking fights um, with Maryland fans. The whole thing that he didn't get into a party um, at Maryland, like he was denied and and Maryland fans love coming at him and he loves attacking Maryland. It's not he's picked fights with every fan base in the Big Ten, Wisconsin, Michigan State, it seems like. But Maryland's certainly one of them. And he's 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 embraced the the idea of being a villain, but he hasn't played at Maryland yet. So we'll see if he's really all talk and he lives up or or he lives up to to kind of the 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 war that he's created. Single handedly it was all him that he created it. No doubt, no doubt. Um we will see. I I I it's hard for like me to think that Maryland wins this game given that we saw the matchup against Michigan the first time and that was only what that was January 1st this game's January 19th so there's only 18 days that separate that and Maryland hasn't exactly played the most encouraging basketball uh since then however you have like there has to be a level of Maryland that comes out angry in this game and has a chip on their shoulder and maybe even a sense of desperation given the way this these past couple months have gone after starting eight. No, yes, Maryland has done enough this year and they haven't suffered any quote unquote bad losses like some other teams in the Big Ten, including Michigan, who lost to what uh, Central Michigan or Western Michigan at home. I forget which one. Um, look, Maryland put itself in position to go 500 in Big Ten play and make the tournament with ease. With that said, you have to win this game and you have to come out angry. You have to come out with a sense of desperation because the team we've seen since December 6th against Wisconsin, whose only wins have come against St. Peter's UMBC and a Zed key less Ohio State. And they've had one, two, three, four losses come by double digits, all blowout losses. I think an average margin of loss of 17 points in those games. This team has to come out with fire on Thursday or tomorrow, and there's just, you know, there's there's no other answer to me. And I, I think I think they will, um, because, like you said, they don't have a choice. But the other thing is, in the Big Ten, and talking about going 500 or a game 500, which probably would get them on the right side of the bubble, you have to take care of home court in the Big Ten, especially when you're as bad on the road as you have been. Like Maryland's 0-4 on the road in the Big Ten, and a lot of those losses haven't even been competitive. So and and then after this game, you're going on the road to oh the best team in the Big Ten in Purdue and Zach Eady. So you have to take care of home court um, in in this conference. And and Maryland has been way better at home than on the road in the Big Ten so far this season. Obviously, they're two and four. Their two wins are at at home, and their four losses are on the road. But that has to be a theme all year. And the, I think I forget exactly what it is, but the overwhelming majority or not, I think it's like eight out of like four, the next fourteen. Eight, yeah, I think eight out of the next fourteen. Maryland games. There's only 14 conference games left. Eight of the remaining ones are at home. So for I mean, the next five, too. Yeah. So that's, you, you, that's ha- you have an like, opportunity here. Yeah, and you have to take care of home court, especially against a team that is in a similar position that you're in. Like this is a team that's going to be on the bubble all year. They're mid-tier, probably bottom-tier Big Ten team, but they're going to be on the bubble all season, just like you. So when you look at when you're kind of stacking up, like how many Big Ten teams are going to make the tournament at the end of the year, and you're comparing these two resumes. There's no way you can put a Michigan or Maryland over a Michigan when Michigan swept them in the series two to zero this season if Maryland loses on Thursday. So that that's that's also a big part of it, too. Like these, this is a team you're competing with in this conference to get um, to who's going to be on the bubble too to kind of get uh, one of those places in the NCAA tournament at the end of the season. So there's a lot at stake for this game. I think it's really important. And if Maryland loses, 
Again, they're going on the road to the best team in the conference right after in Purdue. Even though Maryland almost beat Purdue last season, lost by two when they were big underdogs. I do think um, I think this is a really important game and kind of can be indicative of the, the direction the rest of the season is going to go. Because, yeah, they have an easier schedule and it's going to open up against the Nebraska's, against the Northwestern's, against Minnesota's later this season. But at the same time, like this, this is a really important game and, and you're going to lose a lot of the fan base for this season, at least just for this season in terms of hope that, that you're going to turn it around. Uh, this, this, is a, this, is a, this game is going to tell us a lot about whether this team has legitimate hopes and, and is capable of making an NCAA tournament run. Yeah, it's, it's run to make, the tournament. Yeah, it's as make or break as as you get, in my opinion. I'm happy you mentioned that Purdue game because that look that's going to be a loss. They're not they're just not going to go into Purdue and, and beat the national player of the year and, and perhaps the Big Ten favorite there as well. So look, if you beat if you lose to Michigan at home, then you lose to Purdue. All of a sudden, you've lost three in a row and five out of your last six. The season can really like spiral from there. And and I hate to say that, but on the flip side of that. If you beat Michigan, you go to Purdue and you don't get the doors blown off you. You have Wisconsin at home. That's going to be a rematch. You got to be confident about winning that one. Nebraska at home, you're the better team. You got to be confident winning that. And then a chance against Indiana at home, who was the Big Ten favorite going into the season. They've really stumbled like Maryland, but a little bit different sense there. They, they, they might be they're right in the bubble there with Maryland, despite you know starting or being viewed as such a good uh, team to start the year. And then you have Minnesota on the road, who's the worst team in the Big Ten. So you have some chances, but you have to capitalize on this Michigan game. I think if you lose this game and then you lose to Purdue, you're going to be forgotten about. Like, it doesn't matter if you you rail off all those wins in a row. You're putting yourself in a really bad position and digging a pretty deep hole as you get into late January and early February when each game starts to matter more and more. Yeah, when you look at their schedule here, they have a Michigan, Purdue, and then they're back home at Wisconsin. After that, 11 games left. Seven of those games are against either Nebraska, Minnesota, Northwestern, or Penn State. So, like, that's seven of those 11 games. Obviously, Penn State's a good team, very good team, um, and you're going to have to play them at home and on the road, and that's probably a tournament team, this Penn State team. But you have Nebraska, Minnesota, Northwestern. Northwestern's playing good good basketball right now, but I don't, I don't really see them as too much of a threat either. Like those are games like that schedule really opens up and it really gets easier as the season goes on, especially because you're not on the road as much. But it, it's it's just going to be difficult if you put yourself in a hole here, like you said, where you lose to Michigan, you lose to Purdue, and then maybe you beat Wisconsin in a rematch at home. But it, it's it's just tough. And anything that happened on the Big Ten in on in any given night in the Big Tens, like you might go to Nebraska and think it's a win and you might lose. Like like even though yeah. it's in Nebraska, you never like you never know on any given night in the Big Ten. So that's why it's so important to take care of home court advantage and and prove yourself against a Michigan team that embarrassed you. I mean, it was one of the, it was one of the most embarrassing losses I think of college basketball this season. Like you can talk about like LSU, Alabama, like the other day, LSU is a respectable program. Like so is Maryland, and this was that was it was a thirty five point loss. Like that was one of the most embarrassing losses from a good program and a team that isn't that much better than you. Like Michigan might be a little better, but they're like four or five points better. This is not a, like, that was an embarrassing yeah. loss. You've got an opportunity to redeem yourself, but it's really important that, that they capitalize on that. Um, just going to the offensive like, game plan and kind of breaking it down a little bit. I think for these next two games, against Zach Eady and Hunter Dickinson, two of the best bigs in the conference, really in the entire country. It's really important that Maryland, like, they're going to have to go small at times, but it's really important that they get those guys away from the basket. And like, I that's, running a ton of pick and roll with like Jameer Young and Julian Reese and kind of 
letting Julian Reese settle on the perimeter a little bit where you where you have Zach Eady dropping down in in drop coverage and Jameer Young coming off a screen and kind of nailing a jump shot, which we've seen him do a lot this season and throughout his career. Uh, so that that's one of the solutions I want to see offensively because they they can't just chuck threes like we saw against the, them do against Michigan the first time around where it just didn't work at all. So they need to get creative and kind of getting getting Hunter Dickinson and getting Zach Eady away from the basket to try to create driving lanes for them because it's going to be difficult to drive when those two guys are sitting in the middle of the paint. But if you can kind of get those guys away from the basket through pick and roll, maybe going small ball lineups where Dante Scott's your center and Zach Eady coming out on the perimeter force to try to guard Dante Scott, that could be big and that could open up the lane because he can't just sag off Dante Scott. Dante Scott's a capable shooter. He's going to make some threes. So so there, there are solutions to kind of get these guys away from the basket and and open up your offense a little bit where you don't have to just jack threes and you can use the similar approach that they've been using in the last few games where they're shooting less threes and trying to get to downhill to the rim, but they're going to need to get creative because they're going against two of the best bigs in the country. No doubt. And you look, you have to bring these guys out on the perimeter because you're not going to beat them inside with Julian Reese, who's going to get in the foul trouble and, and other options as well. I think Talking about maybe that that small ball five with, with Dante Scott, I think this is maybe a matchup where you can exploit it, given the fact that Hunter Dickinson is, is a dominant big on, on both ends of the floor. But if you can get like become a matchup nightmare, quote-unquote, for a guy like Hunter Dickinson and you have the skill of Dante Scott who can score at all three levels at his best, there's there I think there's a recipe for success there. I'm not exactly sure if it'll come to fruition, but we'll see just to go back to those two games uh, or against Michigan that they played in that 2020-21 season, the COVID season where Dante Scott was playing the five. And then it was uh, also Hunter Dickinson's freshman year. Excuse me. They played him three times. Dante Scott had 19 in the first matchup, 13 in the second matchup and seven in the third matchup. So he's shown he's been able to find some success against a Hunter Dickinson led Michigan team because look, he was still the, he's been the center point of the team for the last three years. Even when he was a freshman, the guy's been a great player since he stepped on campus. So I think maybe you can exploit him there with, you know, not Juju against Hunter Dickinson, but if you can create some mismatches and not only bring Hunter to the perimeter, but maybe get a matchup where Dante Scott's got him on him with the switch or Hakeem Hart, I think you can ex- expose him there a little bit. Um, and then I think another key there, Sam, is you, you just have to shoot the three-point ball at a better rate. Like, it, it, it didn't work against Michigan offensively the first time. You got to make some threes uh, at some point. I, I know we can we can dive into the nooks and crannies of, of offensive game plans, but this team's going to have to just to the three ball at a better rate if it's going to win Big Ten games. And I think at home against Michigan, a team that, you know, is on this a similar level to you despite losing the 35 the first time, I think it, it, it provides an opportunity where you need to shoot the ball at a better rate and, and you have a chance to capitalize at home. But but we'll see on, on that front. You're going to have to shoot at some point, though. I think that's, that's undeniable. Yeah, and, and I said it earlier, like, it's kind of surprising that they're the second lowest three-point percentage in the entire Big Ten because they are better shooters. So I think there was a there was a – like they, Hakeem Hart was getting off to great three-point shooting start. Dante Scott was shooting phenomenal percentage from three to start the season, the first six or seven games or so. And I think I said that, you know, there's going to be a regression a little bit because they're, they're, they're not that great shooters, but they are still good shooters. And now I think the regression has been, has been so in the, so far in the other direction where I think they might become a little bit better shooters just as a team as a whole, because this isn't a bad shooting roster. This isn't like the team where you would look at and be like, Oh yeah, this is one of the worst shooting rosters in the big 10, especially their starting unit. So, so it's kind of been surprising. I do think they're going to start making threes. I think being back at home is, is, could be big for them. We saw them shoot better against Ohio state at home. 
So I think a combination of all that is going to lead to better three-point shooting. But at the same time, they can't over-rely on the threes like we saw earlier this season. They have to be quality looks. They can't be rushed. They still need to have a dribble drive focus offensively and that you can create threes from that because when you're when you're driving to the lane four guys are forced to converge and help and that's when you can kick out for good looks and i think that's how the three ball kind of they get back in the rhythm of shooting quality threes maybe get don carry going a little bit hakeem hart get 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 him some good looks so i think i think that's kind of how they do it so but i do think they're going to become a better three-point shooting team but you're right especially against some of these bigger guys especially when they're going to go small against some of these bigger guys like a Michigan, like a Purdue, they need to shoot the three ball. They need to three, at least come close to winning that three-point war or win that three-point war against these teams. If not, they're going to have a really tough time competing with these teams. No doubt. I mean, they, they also chucked 25 threes against Michigan, I, I, like you said, or like, and like we talked about earlier in the podcast. I think that'll probably be down towards 15, 16, given the way they've they've played a little bit of better offensive basketball these past couple of games. But it, it, it is interesting, Sam. I, I'm curious what you think here. Given the fact that they lost by 35 on the road on New Year's Day against Michigan, do you just completely chuck out that game plan that you use there? Or are there maybe tidbits you can use that maybe you saw something that you could take advantage of and they just didn't capitalize in Ann Arbor? Yeah, I mean, it's tough because like I'm not convinced they had a game plan for that game. I think maybe they went out New Year's night, like it was New Year's Eve. Like maybe they went out to Ann Arbor. It's, it's, we've been there. It's a great city to go out in. I don't know because that was not a basketball team that was shown um, on the court. So like, yeah, Willard said after the game, you need to chuck the game plan or no, excuse me. He said, you need to chuck the film. And like, he's like, ah, like I'm throwing out that film. Like, but at the same time you do watch it. Um, You see, like you, it was obvious when you watch it, like how stagnant they were on offense. There was no movement. They were just chucking threes. It was really ugly, but defensively, I think is more what you take away from it Um, and how Hunter Dickinson kind of dominated you. So like, yeah, as ugly as it is, you kind of need to watch that game plan. Or, or that that game film um, and, and learn from it and see how you can adjust. But I think their offensive philosophy has just shifted completely since that game. Um, and we've talked about it all show, but it, it really has just shifted in terms of the going away from the over-reliance on threes. And we've seen that against Iowa and Ohio State where they've had more productive offensive performances. Um, but I, there is st- still stuff to take away. So you have to watch it as ugly as it is. And I'm sure they watched it after, um, after that game and just called out a lot of different players who who just showed no energy, who were exhausted, who whatever it was, but it it was it was obviously very ugly. Um but you still you still still have to watch it and and take some things away from it. No doubt uh you have to because you you got to be able to clean up that that performance which was like you said one of the more disgraceful Maryland performances in in many years to come or in in decades in, in the past but We'll see. Um, should, should we make predictions for this game? I, I, I'm, I'm really yeah. torn. But, uh, yeah, so yeah, I mean, so here looking at it now, Ken Palm has Maryland actually beating Michigan. By four. 70, 74 to 70, yeah, um, which is a little bit surprising for me. I'll make my prediction first. I, I'm torn as well. I do think it's going to be a very competitive game at home. Just watching that film. You should honestly watch that film just to motivate um, these guys to see how embarrassing it was to lose by 35. Again, the biggest... Um, loss in Maryland history since they joined the Big Ten. So so that's part of it. I think they're going to come out with a different intensity being back at a home. This Michigan team, like I, we said earlier, isn't very good. Like this isn't a, a team that, that should beat you by a whole lot, but I do think they're still better than Maryland. I think they have more firepower when they're clicking than Maryland. I still think Michigan's going to win, but I think it's a little more low scoring than Ken Palm believes. 
and I do think it's competitive. I think Michigan is going to win 70 um, to 67, a uh, game that goes down the stretch. It's back and forth runs, but I think I just, I look at this matchup and I'm, they don't have, I don't see how they can get, have an answer for Hunter Dickinson. You can put all your effort into Hunter Dickinson, double him, um, sometimes even triple him maybe, but if he's kicking out to other guys and, and they're knocking down shots, then Maryland won't have, there will be no answer because then you can't double as much. Maybe they front the post against him. I don't know how much that's going to work unless you have a ton of help on the backside. Um, I mean, guys have not stopped him, but they've limited him this season. So maybe they're watching some of that film from other teams. But I, I don't, Maryland doesn't have the personnel to put up with this Michigan roster and stop this Michigan roster. And I don't think Michigan's very good, but I do think matchup wise, they're better than Maryland. And I just think Maryland's going to lose. Um, but a competitive game, I got Michigan 70, um, Maryland 67. Yeah, part of me just it wants to pick Maryland just because they're, they're back home and, you know, they're, they're going to be angry because they, they got killed the first time and you think they'll have a better game plan for Michigan. But you can, I feel like you can only do so much. Like Hunter Dickinson is going to be the most dominant player on the floor. Maryland doesn't have Patrick Millen, just another body to even throw at him. I know Dickinson's like six inches taller than him, but still – you need someone to get into foul trouble as well when, when Julian Reese is out of that game. I, I just don't think they'll have the answers defensively. I, I think I think it'll be competitive, um, not as close as you think. I, I think it's going to be somewhere between – I'm going to go Michigan 72, Maryland 64. I, I just – it's not even that this Michigan team is that much better than Maryland. It, it's just – it's such a horrendous matchup. Um, and we saw it on the court on January 1st, which was only – 18 days before the game uh, tomorrow. So it's, it's, I, I just can't bring myself to pick Maryland after watching that and, and just knowing the, the, what the, the focus of that game is going to be. And it's going to be on Hunter Dickinson. I just, I don't know if they'll be able to contain him. I think he'll be playing with some extra fire too, playing in front of those, the Maryland fans for the first time. Yeah. It will be interesting to see the Hunter Dickinson that we see. And if he really is, if he really backs up his talk where he's been talking so much about, how um how excited he is to go against Maryland, how much he, obviously his beef was with the former coach, but still he talks a lot about the fan base, talks a lot about the team um on his on his wonderful podcast ramble <laughs> and uh so so it, it will be interesting to see um to see if if he backs that up or he kind of just folds under like real uh fan pressure, but we'll see obviously that'll play out so we we're not gonna be we're not gonna be on air until after the purdue game so I think we both know where we're going with this, but let's give a quick Purdue prediction. Um, Ken Palm gives Maryland 18% chance to win this game, which is their lowest percent chance to win a game the rest of the way, according to Ken Palm. Um, I don't know. Maryland's been horrible on the road, regardless of who they play. Now they're going on the road to play the best team in the Big Ten um, with the best center in the entire country when Maryland doesn't have, hasn't had an answer for centers all season. I think Purdue wins by about 12 yeah, I think it'll be it won't be a twenty point loss. Um, I think kind of I was watching that Purdue Michigan State game yes uh, on Monday, and I know you were too, Sam. And and Michigan State just wasn't really sending doubles at Edie, and he was dominating and getting his, and they were kind of begging everyone else to help. And Fletcher Lawyer eventually did at the end, and, and they won that game. But there weren't a ton of answers outside Edie. I think he had more than a quarter of the points for for at the whole entire game for both teams for a lot of that game. I, we'll see. I mean, I don't even. I would imagine the game plans are are somewhat similar for Dickinson and Edie, but and it's a really quick turnaround. Um, you probably implemented into both this whole week as you prepare for both those guys. 
Um, but I, I, I like Purdue by probably 14 points. Um, I'll go 75-61. Um, yeah, just real quick about that Michigan State game. Michigan State's plan was clearly, you're right, they weren't setting a lot of doubles. Their plan was, they did kind of towards the end, but their plan was let Edie beat us, like, he, or Edie's going to dominate, let everyone else beat us. And if everyone else beats us, then fine, we're going to lose this game. Um, and, and it worked out pretty well for Michigan State. Very well for Michigan State, but uh, well, not very well, but almost very well for Michigan State. But the, the point is that that they let Edie um dominate, and and what that happened, what happens when you let Edie dominate is other guys have to step up and make shots, and they were at times, but for, for the most part, it worked for Michigan State because they were undersized. You know, they don't they don't have a big to combat um Edie, but offensively, what they did is they they were running a ton of ball screens and getting Edie out in the perimeter, forcing him to guard um switch forcing them to switch a lot of those screens that that Michigan State was setting and they had a perfect plan so when you do go to Ohio State or excuse me when you do go to Purdue you want to watch that tape for Michigan State and yeah Michigan State has some some more better creators than Maryland and more fluid scores it's not the same personnel but they are somewhat similarly constructed rosters so you kind of do want to look at um that Michigan State tape and how well they did the, the offensively and defensively against Purdue yeah, they they definitely don't have a, a ton of bigs at, at Michigan State. I think the thing with Edie, who's in my opinion right now the runaway national player of the year, I don't know how you can say otherwise. The guy's been completely and utterly dominant. Is he? It's not like he's just getting position uh, three feet from the basket and scoring. Yes, some of his baskets are like that, but this guy's comfortable all over the floor too. He's comfortable going to the three point line, setting screens and rolling. He's comfortable you know, making passes for his teammates when he gets the ball in the post and a double comes because he's taller than everyone else and he can just dump it off for a layup. This guy is, you know, he, he's certainly improved from from the player he was when he first came to Oh, sport. yeah, he's not just like a, a stiffler where he's just like, he's all he can do is just post up and, and go to one move. I mean, he like you just said, he he plays all over the court. He's a very versatile player and he's he's phenomenal and really fun to watch. And he and he shoots 75.5% from the line too. So it's yeah. not it's not like... That's an area where where you can take advantage of. He's a really special player, and it's going to be interesting to see. Maybe Willard will talk about it. How similar those those game plans are for that Michigan Purdue game back to back. Really quick turnaround Thursday at home at night. Then you hop on a plane. Uh, I'm assuming Saturday go to West Lafayette, and then a, a 1 p.m. game um, Sunday against the Boilermakers. So it, it, it's a quick turnaround. It's not like. I'm sure Willard wish he had that January 8th to January 15th layoff to prepare for Purdue instead of Iowa. He does not, but um, yeah. we'll see. It, it's it's going to be interesting because two two dominant big centric teams that uh, Maryland's going to be playing in the span of four days. Yeah, and that, that's what happens when you play the Big Ten, and Maryland will play Purdue later in the season, but and they will play Indiana too, who has a Trey Jackson Davis and, and other bigs that Maryland's going to have a hard time guarding. Real quick, as we wrap up here. So we both have Michigan and Purdue losing. We both have Maryland losing to Michigan and Purdue, which would lead to a three-game losing streak for Maryland. And then they're back at home against Wisconsin. I actually think they beat Wisconsin. So in this next three-game stretch, I have them going one and two. But then that's, again, when the schedule really opens up, when they're at home against Nebraska, home Indiana, who's had an up-and-down season, but they're still talented. Minnesota on the road, Michigan State, Penn State at home. Um, that's kind of when the schedule opens up. But what do you see over this next three-game stretch? We both have Michigan-Purdue losing. If they lose to Wisconsin, the season's completely done. Yeah, yeah, but I yeah. think they I think they can go one and two in this in this next three-game stretch, and they'll get a win over Wisconsin. I'm with you. I'm with you. I think, But I think if you lose to Michigan and you're going to lose to Purdue then too, then you're going to be 11-8 and eight 
two and six in the Big Ten. If if you if you lose both those games, like this Michigan game is is really big just to say stay relevant in the tournament picture. Um, because a Michigan loss at home too, it's a Michigan's not that good. It's not going to be a quad one loss. It'll it'll be um quad two. Uh, but we'll, we'll see. I I think they beat Wisconsin at home, and I think they beat Nebraska at home, and. I guess from if you just take those four games and you go two and two in that stretch, but there's a chance to go three and one. You, you really, this team's got to beat Michigan. I don't think they do, but I, I think yeah, it's if, it's, if they, it's as it's as close to a must win as it gets, given the the state uh, of, I, of I com- how this team is played right now. I completely agree. I think this is like I said, like if Maryland wins this game, I would be comfortable saying. Obviously, there's a lot of more games to be played, but I would comfortably saying that this team is going to be on the right side of the bubble. If they lose, I would not be. I would say this team's probably going to be on the wrong side of the bubble. I think this is a huge game against Michigan. I think Maryland certainly understands that. If they do go one and two over these next three games, that would put them at three and six in the Big Ten with eleven games to go. They would have to win eight out of those next eleven games. Um. To, to get to 500 in the Big Ten, if they go anything below that, I don't think they're going to make the tournament. But to get to 500 in the Big Ten, if they go one and two over this next three-game stretch, they would have to win Seven. eight out of the next... What? Because if they win, if they win one of the next three, then they'd be three and six. You got 10 and no, 10. one of the next two. One, one of the, oh, oh, no, yeah, one yeah, of the yeah. next three. One of the next three, yeah. So they'd be three and six. Yeah, and then you got... Then, but I'm saying... Okay, never mind, never mind, never mind. It, it, it's... I was saying seven, 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 seven wins instead of eight. Once you get to three to get to 10 and 10, I think, I think, but I think even at nine and 11, they'll have a chance, but you, you want, you really want to go 500 in the conference. You, you, you at least. Yeah. I think like we talked about on previous episodes, I really also think it matters. Like how many teams from the big 10 you're going to put in? Like, is it, is Maryland like a, t- a ninth seed in the, in the big 10 and there's uh, nine, 11 in the conference and there's eight other teams that are going to make the tournament over them, including a Michigan that maybe will have beaten you twice in a season. It's just, it's just tough because everyone, everyone's seen the lack of success from big 10 teams in the tournament, or you can continue to put eight or nine teams uh, from this conference in the tournament that really just cannibalizes itself because there's so many good mediocre teams, but no one's that much better than the rest. Yeah, I, I mean, you have to view. We've talked about this off air. Yeah, I think like you have to view it as an independent event each tournament. But the trends, of, of course, are worrisome. The Big Ten hasn't hasn't been good in the tournament in, in in quite some time. And when you look at the last Big Ten team to win a title, that's Maryland, and they were in the ACC. So and winning winning seven of those next eleven or eight of those next eleven games may sound daunting. But like we said earlier, their their schedule does open up a lot. You know, they'll have Nebraska twice. They'll have a good Penn State team, but still Penn State team twice. They'll have um minnesota twice northwestern so like it does open up so that's not like it's, out of the realm of possibility to go to win seven or eight out of those next 11 when they're two and six in the conference at that point because their schedule will be way easier yeah and it's more so just taking care of the games that you're supposed to win and i know like we might disagree but per Kempom, i think maryland's favored in one two three four five six seven eight nine of their last 14 games Yes. Yeah, so I mean, if you win, if you win eight of those, you're gonna you're gonna find yourself in a position to be in the tournament. Um, and maybe they pick off one of the teams that they lost. Yeah, of course it's it's not it's just it's not gonna work out that way. Um, they're gonna lose some of those games they're projected to win. Maybe they'll win one of those games they're projected to lose. Yeah, I mean, Kempom has them. Kempom has them going ten and ten in the Big Ten, which would fit, which would have them finish with a nineteen and twelve overall record, which I think would get them into the tournament. Yeah, I 100% agree. If you finish 19 and 12 and 10 and 10, 
I think you could, as long as you don't lose your first Big Ten tournament game to a bad team, you'll you'll probably be in, in decent shape there. Yeah, but, but I also think there's it, a good it, chance they may finish eight and twelve. Dude, um, they might they might in, finish in seven and thirteen. <laughs> it's yeah, it's it's we've been calling it a roller coaster ride for a reason. It, this, if there's anything you can be certain of with this team right now, it's that nothing's certain, in my opinion. Yeah. That's that's and that's the the way throughout the entire Big Ten conference. That's that's been a theme all season, and it's no different for any of these mediocre teams, or maybe better than mediocre, but like the Michigans, um, like the Marylands of the world. And so that that's that's the reality that they're faced with in Big Ten and college basketball right now. Um, but yeah, so so we'll continue to talk about it. And next week, we'll, there will be two games, so we'll talk about the Michigan game, and we'll talk about that Purdue game, and then we'll have a better idea, probably, of where this team stands in a week from now um, when they're, they're getting set to play Wisconsin and then at home, and then their schedule, like we said, is really going to open up. So we'll have a better idea coming off of these two games against Michigan and Purdue. Um, that'll be next Wednesday when we'll talk to you about all that. But for now, thanks for listening, everybody. Enjoy these next couple games.